Amen. Good morning, Bethel. How's everybody doing this morning? We're so thankful to have you here with us today to be worshiping the Lord and uh, to be celebrating our great and glorious God. Uh, last Sunday after the service, a number of you were out for this, but in case you missed, I want to share just a couple updates from the membership meeting that we had last week. Uh, we had the privilege of getting to gather together. Here's some exciting and encouraging updates from um, all that God has been doing in and around um, and through our church and in the community around us and much time to praise and give glory to God. We also had two significant points in terms of uh, votes and um, items on the agenda that I uh, wanted to update you with. The first was we have um, three official uh, because it was um, overwhelmingly uh, um, overwhelmingly affirmed with the majority, uh, the incoming three new elder candidates, uh, Ben Carter, Ron Eastman, and then Phil Model, who's returning for a second term. And so we're so thankful for the affirmation that came through with these guys to be joining our elders team now um, here at the church for the next three years. And then we also had the chance to vote on uh, a, the sale of a portion of the farm property that we as a church own. And uh, that went through with a unanimous affirmation vote. And so we praise God for both of those. And I really want to say thank you to each of you who have been praying for us. Um, there's still steps ahead in terms of what um, is uh, to be, you know, with the town stuff, check boxes to happen. But this is very exciting um, season for us as a church and the resources from that sale uh, to be able to be used for the furtherance of God's kingdom in um, our community and around our region and planting churches like our Bethel Southwest Church and Lord willing many others as well. So thank you for praying. Thank you for journeying with us in this. We're gathering around the communion table and I want to draw our attention to a couple verses from Hebrews chapter 12 as we prepare our hearts to hear from God's word today. It says this in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As Natalie said so powerfully, we are here to serve and to glorify and to worship God, the God who sent his one and only Son. And this is what we remember around the communion table. In the midst of all that may be going on in our days, in our weeks, in our own hearts, and there are many things, I know, for each one of us, Right now, we want to lay these aside. Lay aside, as that text says, the weights that are upon our shoulders. I don't know if that is busyness from your week or if that is struggles at work or challenges going on within your family. I don't know if that is challenges and struggles financially or a, a cloud of difficulty or health struggles going on or what it might be. These weights that can be so heavy upon our shoulders. We come here and we want to lay these aside. 
lay them down at the foot of Jesus, the foot of the cross. The sins which cling so closely. Maybe there has been something this week that you have stumbled in and you know a thought, an action, a word, a place you found yourself. It's, it's not what was honoring to the Lord. It's not where God wanted you to be or do what God calls us to do. And there's this sense of just maybe guilt, shame, the, the chirping of the enemy in your ear. Lay down these sins at the foot of the cross today. And we do this practically with this reminder of the body of Christ broken for us through the bread and the blood of Christ poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. It's a, it's a practical way that Jesus gave us, going right back to the very last night he had with his disciples before he was betrayed, to, to bring us, remind us, lead us to remember Jesus. And so right now I want to invite you to just peel off that first thin clear layer and hold the little wafer that is there in your hand. And I'm going to give us a moment just right now to each bow our heads in silence before the Lord. And if there is a weight that is upon your shoulder, if there is a sin that you've been struggling and, and falling into, to just lay that down before God in confession right now. Oh God, I give this to you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you did on the cross for me. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He broke it, and he gave thanks, and he told his disciples, and it's passed down to us now, even here this morning. He said, this is my body, broken for you. Eat in remembrance of me. You can go ahead and peel that sort of purple-pink layer off the cup. On that same night, Jesus also took a cup. And they drank of the wine. With Jesus saying, this cup is a reminder of my blood. It's poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. The new covenant, which gives us new life. All is washed white as snow by his sacrifice, and so we drink in remembrance of him. Oh Lord, we look to Jesus today. Fix our eyes, our hearts, our souls upon Jesus as we prepare to hear from you and your word. Speak, Holy Spirit. We, your servants, are listening. In the mighty name of our King. Amen. It's my privilege to get to invite Mark Soto to come on up right now. Mark is a special guest with us today with his wife, Marsha. And uh, they are visiting from the grand metropolis of Chatham. Uh, yeah, no, no cheers for Chatham, Mark. Uh, <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not going to poke fun. Uh, so Mark is uh, a pastor, church planter in Chatham with our denomination, and then Mark is also uh, works with our denomination as a coach with church planters within our denomination. And so um, we are privileged as part of the same church family to get to um, serve the Lord together with Mark and Forward City Church down in Chatham. But then also Marcus had a special investment in our church because he actually coaches Pastor Nick, who is our Bethel Southwest church planter. They meet quite regularly um, to come alongside, support, encourage, and help Nick as he's giving leadership to that church plant. And we're so thankful to have you here with us today as a special guest and to open up God's word with us. So, blessings, brother. So, I, uh, I, I forgive you for not knowing a lot about Chatham. Um, I didn't know a lot about Chatham. We moved there like 20 years ago to work in another church, Emmanuel Baptist Church, and I didn't know anything about Chatham either. And when we were getting there, um, someone said, uh, why, why are you going to Chatham? And I really didn't have a good answer other than this is what God told us to do. And he's like, do you realize it's the mullet capital of southern Ontario? And I was like, oh, come on, really? And I got there, and it was actually the mullet capital. It's, it's unofficial. It's, it's not on a sign or anything like that. When you don't drive up, you don't see that. But um, no, we've grown to love Chatham, and we've been there for um, just over almost 20 years now, so we've just loved it. And, uh, but thank you for allowing us to come. We're excited to be here today. We're excited to, to hear and to see what God is actually doing because we, we, we've known about you from a distance. And, you know, kind of being here and kind of walking around your facility, going to Glencoe and uh, meeting uh, with Pastor Nick and, and seeing some great things happen. But it's good to see the, the, the family in context. This is beautiful. Um, now, um, I'm just, again, honored to be here today. And I love you guys. And we've been praying for you as a church. And we're excited what God is going to do. But I just want to kind of enter into, um, there's, a, there's a, something that happened in, on February 3rd. 1931, um, in, a, in a quiet little town um, in New Zealand, Hawkins Bay, New Zealand. And it was, it, was, it was just kind of a normal town, kind of a beautiful little area, kind of a tourist village where, where people just lived and went on their regular lives at a regular time, and they thought that everything was going to be the same, just kind of like what it's like here in Strathroy. Like you just, you just go about your life every single day thinking nothing's really going to change. And then something happened. Um, on February 3rd, 1931, at 10.46 in the morning, everything changed. You know, people were going about their lives. You just kind of finished breakfast, you know, just kind of going off to work or school or life. And then something happened at that moment that really changed everything forever. Because at that moment, an earthquake struck. And the earthquake was so severe that it was like, I, I believe it was like 7.9 on the Richter scale. In less than three minutes, it destroyed everything. It destroyed everything, and to the point where if every the buildings that were still standing in those moments were destroyed by the the subsequent fire that happened just afterwards, and like hundreds of people were killed during that tragedy. And what happened was was interesting is that when 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 they were looking at the town after this was all over, and after the dust settled and the fires were put out, and, and the people of the town just started to walk around to see the devastation. They didn't just see broken buildings and, and, and burnt out houses. They saw everything else had changed as well. Because see, what happened was because of this earthquake and because of the seismic activity, it actually changed the landscape of the city. It, the, the whole area, so there's this place, um, it's the, the, the Bluffs of Napier, which is a very popular tourist destination, had actually been torn off and tossed into the sea and it was gone. What was actually hills were now straight, were valleys, and what were valleys were now rolling hills. It just changed the landscape in such an incredible way, and actually one of the major things that happened was this lagoon up here that you see. 
it just totally blew their minds because this lagoon was just full of water and everybody just kind of went around it. It was now 9,000 acres of dry ground. It changed everything. So much so that when people walked around, they didn't recognize their own place. And so what happened was the people who were going to try to rebuild the town had a bit of a dilemma here because when they were rebuilding, they wanted to rebuild the roads, they wanted to rebuild the town, there was nothing to reference it anymore. Because roads that usually traveled upon the maps, that usually traveled upon this hill, that hill wasn't there anymore. Or, 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 or this valley kind of going to go down there, that wasn't there anymore. And now what do we do with this 9,000 acres in the middle of what used to be water? So as they were trying to rebuild their town, they, they were looking at these maps, and these just maps didn't make any sense anymore because everything had changed. So what they ended up having to do was just to toss away the maps and then start relying on compasses. Because everything that they knew, everything they had grown to trust, everything that they, that they had placed their, kind of their, 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 their regular lives upon was now gone. And I'm like, what do we do? And so they, they ended up rebuilding the town in kind of that Art Deco style that was kind of really popular at that time. But it only happened when they decided, okay, you know, we can't look at these maps anymore because these maps don't work. Instead, we need to use our compass because that tells us where we're going. Now, I'm not sure if you know this, but our world is broken. Now, again, and this is going to sound really tragic. I'm sorry, you're, I, mean, I came today? Sorry, you know, everything's going to be okay. We'll get there. But our world is broken. Like, we live in a broken world. I, you don't have to be religious to realize that something's not right here. And it's not just Strathroy, it's everywhere. Like, something's not right. I mean, you know this and I know this. And, and we know that and when we look around, that just something's not right. Instead of having like, lasting fulfillment, we have toil. I mean, instead of having overwhelming peace, there's hurt and brokenness and devastation. Instead of wholeness, we, we, we find abuse and brokenness. And worst of all, we, we understand this as part of the family of God. We understand that we also find that a relationship with the Creator, Heavenly Father, and humanity has been tragically lost. And, and because of that, I mean, we're, we're just groaning. Our world is groaning. Our, our cities are groaning. Um, our, our lives are groaning. Our bodies are groaning. Anyone? Anyone? Okay, sometimes, you know, maybe not. Okay. Our world is groaning. And the thing about this is, when we look at our, our culture, everybody has an idea how to fix it. Like, everybody does, right? Like, I mean, the government has an idea how to fix everything that's going on. Now, now don't hear what I'm not saying. Like, we, we need to vote. We need to, we need, we need to, you know, see change in legislation. We need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our municipal leaders. We need to pray for our provincial leaders. We need to pray for our federal leaders. But we need to understand as well, as you know, this, that our government, like, it's just broken people trying to fix a broken world. To put our hope in the government doesn't work. And then usually the default, the, the, the default position that you and I usually go through or the world usually goes through, when something's not right, we, 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 try, to, we try to look inward instead. So we're going to fix something, we're we going to fix me. So if I can somehow become a better version of me, that's going to make everything better. Maybe me with, 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 a better, uh, with a better physique or me with a better money or me with, with, with better resources or better things, better mentally, physically, emotionally. If I can just make me better, then that'll fix the things that are going on around me. 
And then when the government doesn't work or maybe fixing me doesn't work because let's be honest, let's say, let's say in 10 years from now, you get everything right. Everything you're kind of working towards in your own life and your own body gets fixed and gets whatever you're looking for. I can almost guarantee you that you're going to be just as frustrated and disappointed with the, with the you 10 years from now as the you you are now. Because you and I both know is that while this is important to work on ourselves, it doesn't bring the lasting hope and satisfaction that we're searching for. So instead of giving up, we try other things, right? There's the government, there's ourselves, and then what people typically do in these time periods is we start to look for spirituality or religion. Somehow that'll fix things. I had a friend of mine, one of my neighbors, we've been really connecting with, and he said, Mark, maybe what I need in my life, I need some religion. And I'm like, well, that sounds good, but it kind of sounds like something you get from eating too much Taco Bell. I, I didn't really know what that meant. I was like, you just need religion? I go, that's not how this works. But somehow, some way, if I do this, it's going to make everything better. But I know probably you um, and I have come to the same conclusion that no matter how hard we try, which we tried it, right? We, we tried some of those things, and we found that Lasting hope and confidence and peace and the forgiveness and the lasting fullness, it's not going to be found in the government or a better version of yourself or in our search for religion because we've experienced that that hope can only be found through Jesus Christ. Now, I know I'm speaking to people who get it, but there's this beautiful passage that the apostle, um, one of the disciples was quoting Jesus and uh, John chapter 14, verses we know. But in John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his, his, his disciples, and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. They're looking around, and all the troubles, and all the, and all, all the challenges, and they're facing, and they're saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms, and if that were not so, I would have told you, or sorry, would I have told you that where I'm going, I'll prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He says, you know where I'm, sorry, you know the way and the place that I'm going. And Thomas, one of his disciples, like, I mean, he's, he doesn't get it. He's like, maybe, maybe he wasn't told. He's like, he goes, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And then Jesus answered in verses you know. He says, I'm the way the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And in those moments, Jesus is saying, the, you know, the, 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 the fix of the world, I don't just know the way to the fix of the world, because I am the fix. I am the way to God. Uh, about 11 years ago, um, our hearts began to break for our, the city of Chatham. Like, we had been there for a period of time, and uh, the Lord was working. We were part of a really, really good church, Emmanuel Baptist Church. We loved our church. We loved the people around our church. Um, we, our, church had, our church was making budget. Our, our, our church was great programs. We had a growing, um, growing uh, small group ministry. God was working. People were going deep in their faith. And, and God was just doing some really, really great things. But over that time period, we started to realize that, that there's just so much more. That, that somehow, some way, the, the, all the work that we were doing, it just, it just didn't seem to be enough to fix the brokenness kind of around us. So we began to pray that God would break our hearts, and he did. And, and then so through that time period, we, we, we began to actually look and do some studies of our city. 
We, we, we looked around and recognized that Chatham had the second lowest median income in the region. And it was interesting, too, Chatham was also the lowest education rate in the region. And we did some more studies, and it had the higher, the, sorry, a higher total cancer incidence, a higher rate of teen pregnancy, illegal drug use, and a higher rate of single-parent households compared to the provincial average. And we started to hear these things and see these things, and we're like, okay, so, so what, what is God saying through this? And we did some more research. What we ended up doing is we, we called every single church in our community. So a buddy of mine who works at a funeral home, he just, he just called every single church and he asked the question, how many people are in your building on an average Sunday? Not how many people who come on Christmas, who come, you know, kind of those specific times a year. How many people there on a regular Sunday that you would call part of your congregation? And out of all the churches that they called, there was an estimation that there was about, um, about 6,000 people that, that, that were part of a church community within our city. Now, this doesn't include the surrounding areas like, like Blenheim and Ridgetown and Wallaceburg, but just specifically just Chatham. And it was interesting that we, once you kind of, you know, recognize that not all of those churches preach the gospel, we, let's just be honest. Not all those churches preach the gospel. Not all those churches are, are true to God's word. And so when we kind of figure that out, you know, maybe we figured there's about 3,000 people in the city of Chatham who are part of a church community that's going to teach them about Jesus. And then what we did is we recognized, okay, so we got about 3,000 people going, and in the population at that time, it's about 46,800 people. So according to these stats and according to kind of what we've developed and understood is that there's about, uh, there's about 42,000 people in the city of Chatham who are not part of a family that's going to teach them about Jesus. 42,000 people. And while we were seeing things happen in our church and God was moving and you know, people were being saved and baptized and things were happening, there were still 42,000 people just in the city. And it was like all that we were doing is wonderful and amazing, but there was just still so much more. So our heart broke to that. And, and, and then and I know part of our church context was that we wanted to plant a church. I mean, it was going to plant. We always wanted to be a church planting church, and we wanted to do that. But we were waiting until we got to about 800 people in order to do that. We were about 300 at the time. But then we were presented with these truths and these facts. We recognized we can't keep waiting for that day, another day, another day. We need to plant now. And so in 2014, um, my wife and I and a, and a group of people were launched out into the city of Chatham to plant Forward City Church. And we're in our ninth year right now, and God is at work still, and God is, it's, just, it's amazing. We're still seeing life transformation. We're seeing people come to Christ. We're seeing people baptized. And now we're just praying about what's next for us. And it's exciting and it's wonderful, but there's still so many people who need Jesus in our community. So it's like, what's next for us? And, and what I love about you guys is um, you're not unlike us, right? Like we, we believe that, that, that there's an answer to the brokenness around us. There's an answer, and the answer is reconciliation. And that answer is salvation the, the, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And what excites me is that you guys get that. Like, you, you, you've, been, you've been a part of this, this church planting movement and the desire that, that you have had to plant churches within your community around you is awesome. I mean, honestly, I don't know if you guys know this, but Pastor Allen, 
that's a bright dude. Really. Like, he is a very, very bright, godly man. And I love what the leadership there and your elders, you're leading you to do to plant churches. I, I, love, I love what you're doing in Glencoe. I've been to Glencoe. I, I, I've seen this, this stop sign in Glencoe. I've been there. I've seen it. It's a great little spot. I've seen the Ag Hall. I've walked around the Ag Hall, and, and, and it's this great spot. What God is doing there is so amazing and wonderful. I, I love working with Pastor Nick. I do. So I just want to say congratulations on being like what part of the 5% of churches that actually plant churches. Well done. Proud of you guys. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. But here's my question. What's next? Like, what's next? And this is the cool part about this. Now, I don't want to diminish what you've already done. I, I don't want, I don't want to like, kind of like say, well, you've done this and you know, you're, you've sacrificed. I know you've sacrificed because the church that sent us sacrificed to send us. And I get it. You, you sacrifice people. You sacrifice money. You sacrifice kind of influence and opportunity to send people away rather than continuing to build this space here. I get it. But here's my question. You've done it. What's next? I did some little um, research just really quickly on this Google thing. I, I checked it. Basically, within this particular area, as of 2021, there's about 23,800 people in this kind of area. I don't know about the surrounding area. I don't even really know the geographic, but about 23,000 right here. And I did some searches of the churches in your area. Like, again, I don't know what churches are preaching the gospel. I don't know what's going on in the other churches in our community, in your community. But I just kind of figured, let's say you have... 20,000 people in the city of Chatham, sorry, Chatham, in, 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 in this area of Strathroy that aren't part of a church community. Like if you add up all the churches in this community here that are actually preaching the gospel and the people within their area, there's about 20,000 people here that are outside the community of faith. Over 20,000 people who were lost and looking for fixes from broken people with broken ideas and broken places. 20,000 people who need Jesus. And so I want to challenge you as a church that gets it. Now's not the time to rest. Now's not the time to just, just realize, hey, we've done this, we've done our part. Like, we've done evangelism. We sent people out. That's a good thing, a very, very good thing. But we just can't rest. Because there's still work to do. I, mean, I, I love what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you, if you have that, um, if, you, if you have your Bibles, open to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're using the, the, the little Bible in front of you, if you don't have your own um, Bible, it's on page 8, 8, 818. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses you guys already know. And, and it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he is also committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
Because God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And when you read this, the Bible calls us as followers of him, ambassadors, representatives of him, pictures of him in this world, in the day we live, in our neighbors, in our neighborhoods. You're ministers of reconciliation. That brokenness between mankind and God We're called of God to go in there to make a difference. See, I believe that you and I were called not to the couch, but we're called to continue to the lost and broken in the city that we live. The Bible says, love your neighbors as yourself. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Bethel, you are ambassadors of Christ with a very, very beautiful calling to bring reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit to the world. So here's the question that we need to wrestle with this. Now, to answer this question, to kind of answer what does this look like in our lives, I understand it can be a whole series of sermons, but since this is my one kind of opportunity here, I just want to answer just one question that I want to give to you is this. What does this call require of me? So when we think of this, okay, you are an ambassador of Christ. There's there's this great need in our community. We live in a broken world. God has done an amazing work of transformation in our lives. And through that, he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. What is our responsibility? What does God require of me in light of that? If you're a follower of Christ, what is God requiring of you as his child, as his ambassador within this community? What is he requiring of you? And notice I didn't ask, what is God requiring of your spouse? Or what is God requiring of your kids? I mean, that's a part of the story. But really, that, 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 this is a question between you and God. What is God requiring of you? Not just of the church, not just of the leadership of the church, not just of people who serve here and serve there. What is God requiring you and me as his followers to do? If you have, continue to move in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6. I believe one of the answers is found there. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. It says this. Share each other's burdens, and in this way obey the law of Christ. What does God's love require of me? Simply to help and serve others because when you do, you're obeying God. Now, I know what you're saying. It's probably the same thing my people have said before. Is that it? Really? Like, I was thinking something more profound, something with just like that's deeper or something that's really huge. No, it, can it really, really be that simple? Now, this isn't probably you, but I, I understand in my own life, sometimes I'm looking for the deep theological truth, and I sometimes miss the things that are just plainly in front of my face. Like sometimes we're searching for something really, really big and something really huge and we're missing just that little part that God already told me to do right here that to help and serve others because when you do, you are obeying God. 
And, and while this isn't this incredibly deep understanding that if we do this, it will absolutely change our community. You've seen pictures of that already on the screen. Because in, in the first century, when the Apostle Paul was writing this, the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, there weren't government programs. There wasn't social safety nets. There, was, there wasn't retirement plans or pension plans. There wasn't retirement homes. There wasn't hospices. If you had a need, you had a couple of choices. And one of those choices was that if you had means, then you could support yourself. But if those means ran out, you had to do something else. So you end up having to sell some things. Sell your possessions, kind of sell what you have, and, and, and then have money in order to sustain your life. And when that ran out, you had to go to your family and ask for money. Which is important and is helpful. And then when, when, when their money ran out or they didn't have any more to give you, you had another choice, really essentially to beg. See, since, since you didn't have a government to help you, you had to just beg and hope for charity from other people because if you had a need, you didn't know where to get it, you had to beg for other people to give it to you. And if that wasn't working, what was very common in that day is they just ended up selling one of their kids or all their kids or even themselves into slavery. And I believe that God, knowing his followers, were going to need support. Because of their faith, some were going to be persecuted. Because of their faith, they were going to lose their jobs. Because of their faith, they were going to lose their families. They were going to be cast out. They were going to have to travel anywhere else because of the persecution they were facing. Because God loved them so much. Because of the compassion of God on the hurting and the widows and the orphan. Because of his compassion for those in need and the lost. God gave the world something extraordinary. He gave the world his church. He gave the world you. So today I'm going to make it easy to really apply this truth because I think application is an important part of this. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to help you apply what does this look like? What does it look like to say, God, God use me in this context I'm going to give you a question that really will instantly, if you do this, it's going to instantly change everything. It, it, it can change your marriage, it can change your family, it can change your neighbors, it can change really the city in a very, very beautiful way. And it's just four simple words. And the words are this. How can I help? It's really simple. You can actually say it yourself. It's pretty easy. So I want you to turn to the person next to you and just say, how can I help? No, no, okay, I don't know if you guys do this in your church. I'm sorry, we do this in ours. You can actually say this out loud. I don't know if this isn't like a library. Um, it's funny, I know we're sitting here going, I shouldn't say anything out loud. I'll get in trouble. No, you can actually say this. Don't say it to the person next to you. Maybe that's scary because you're afraid they're going to give you an answer. Okay, don't do that. Maybe say it to me because I'm not going to see you again. Say it because, how can I help? Say it. Right, and I love it. You kind of say this kind of in one big system. Okay, it's good. It's just like, how can I help? Isn't that profound? No, it's not. Is it life-changing to someone else that you're asking it to? It could be absolutely. This is what I dare you to do. I dare you to try it. I, I dare you to actually try saying this to someone else, not just saying it under your breath, I'm not going to help. No, actually saying it where someone can hear you. It's saying it when you see a need. It's saying, how can I help? And husbands, try this on your wives. I don't know why you're laughing. I don't know why that's funny. <laughs> before I can try, before you, put, before you pick up a remote, 
Before you plan something, what would it look like for you to just say, hey, you know, hey, before I, how can I help, hon? Like, wives, try this on your husbands. Just don't do it when he's trying to do something manly. That doesn't usually work. He's trying to open a jar. Hey, how can I help? That's, that doesn't go well. Guys are idiots that way. Kids, like, try it on your parents. Like, ask your parents, how can I help? But the warning, I mean, be careful that when they're, don't, don't say when they're holding something sharp or that they can break because they're going to drop it or they're going to go in instant paralysis. What did they say? We have our daughters, and when our, daughter, our daughters are away at university, but whenever they're visiting us, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but teenagers that are older, they, they talk to us, but they don't talk a lot. And but when, they, when they finally do want to start talking, we just, we'll stop whatever we're doing. And we'll just, I'll, I'll wash the same dish 12 times. She's talking, don't move. I mean, try it. Imagine if um, you ask this to people in your own church family. Don't just expect them to come to you, but if you actually want, we're saying, hey, how, how, how can I help you today? This is a novel thing. Instead of complaining about your church or complaining that this isn't working right, or I wish this was this, what, what would it look like for you to actually go to your leaders of the church and say, you know what? How can I help with the mission that God has here? It's funny when Pastor Allen, you know, on screen, you're looking for help of people to be involved in the community, be involved in, in, in things here at the church. I looked at Pastor Allen, I was like, hey, it's good to know we're not the only church looking for people. Like, what would it look like for you to just say, you know, how, how can I help? What would it look like for you in your neighborhood, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, because of the love of God in you, to go to them and say, how can I help? Say, God, how do you want to use me? See, I love how Apostle Paul sees the tension of this command. So he sees attention, and he also sees the excuses that they're going to use in order to say, that doesn't have to be me. Go, Lord, if you knew my excuse, if you knew my situation, if you knew I don't have a whole lot, I don't really have anything to give, I don't have any resources, and he, it's, like he, it's like he knows what they're going to say already, and he says this in verse 3, if you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. And then he adds this, and I love it. You're not that important. To share with each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If you think you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're not that important to not help. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I guess what this tells me and tells you is this, is that if you're a follower of Christ, you don't get a get-out-of-help-free card. You don't get an excuse that gets you out of this. And I know what you're going to say. It's probably the same thing I've said. But if, they, but, but, but if I ask them, they might say yes. Exactly. So you do what probably most of us do. I'll, I'll pray about that. Now, we need to pray about things. Well, believe me, we need to pray about things. I love prayer. Prayer is great. But sometimes, if we're honest, we use prayer as an excuse, don't we? I'll pray about that and we'll probably never get back to you. 
I'll pray that someone else steps in for you so that it's not me. I'll pray that someone else speaks to my neighbors. Hey, Pastor Allen, do you know someone who can share the gospel with my neighbors? But the reality is that God wants to leverage what he's doing in you and what he's given you to help and to serve others. It's easy. Because we know that everyone carries weights, right? Everyone does. Like we carry weights, you know, because there's weight, maybe the weights because of expectations or job, family. Some people are bearing weights. Some of you are bearing weights because, because of irresponsibility. Someone else's irresponsibility has become your responsibility. You know, something you didn't ask for. People carry weights that are visible. Some weights are hidden. There's times when the weights, you know, we can, we can hold on to them, we can handle them a little bit, but sometimes the weights are so big, it just feels like you're treading water, or even sometimes like you're drowning. People are carrying these weights. And if we're honest, we see them. We just don't typically do a whole lot about it. On March 13, 1964, a young woman, about 28 years old, her name was uh, Catherine Genevieve, and she was assaulted um, over a significant period of time out in the open where she was running and being chased and assaulted and chased and run for a period of time in her home in Kew Gardens, Queens. Um, the police um, at the end of this, and she was killed at the end of that assault, and uh, when the police were interviewing around, they found out that 38 people had seen the attacks or heard her scream. But here's the astounding part of this, that no one actually intervened and only one woman called the police. A a reporter was trying to figure out, you know, kind of understand the situation, trying to figure out why this happened or what was going on. Um, They basically went and talked to people and interviewed and they found out there were some reasons why people hadn't acted and someone, some were just afraid or uncertain what was going on. One person said they just didn't want to get involved. Another said that I was tired, so I went back to bed. We don't don't know why many of them didn't help out, but it was the reality is that those that heard and saw the need made a conscious decision to not get involved. Now, now I know this is this is an extreme story, and I know that you would have helped out in the situation. I get it, but let's be honest with each other. Let's just be let's just be transparent. You and I see needs all the time, and we make a conscious decision to not get involved. Like you and I, we make conscious decisions. We see a need, and like you know, what, oh, someone else can take care of that, or I'm going to pray about it. Maybe my church can take care of that. When God is saying, "No, you are my ambassador." See, we see people with needs, and we see the broken, but we often make a conscious decision to walk on the other side. Maybe it is too complicated. Maybe we don't have time for another relationship. Maybe we really can't do anything, because maybe what can I do to help? I think one of the biggest reasons is because we think it might get a little too messy. So we choose not to get involved. So my question to you and the question really to me is how many needs do we see passing by us all the time that we choose to not get involved in? See, we need to stop asking God to bring someone else along to meet that need so that I don't have to. 
we need to stop asking God to, we need to start asking God to break our hearts for what breaks his and then allow the Holy Spirit to do something about it through us. It's going to kind of finish with this, but um, the reason I'm challenging you with this is because um, in Matthew chapter 5, we read verses that you've heard before. It says it's that you are the light of the world. A city on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it in a, under a basket but on a stand. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, what he's saying to you as his follower, I want you to imitate me. I want you to love others. I want you to love people that are hard to love. I want you to live with character. I want want what you do to point others to me. I want you to live your life in such a way that when people see all that you're doing, they're not going to think, oh man, you're a great person. You're an amazing person. They're going to see all that you're doing and all that is happening and it's going to point to something bigger. He's saying, I want your life to connect the dots to not what kind of an awesome person you are, but what an amazing God He is. See, God wants your life to connect the dots from the broken to the healer. God wants you to connect the dots from those that are lost to the one who loves them and paid the price for them. God wants your life, God wants you to live your life in such a way that people can see and hear Jesus through you. Not so that you can get glory, but that so their lives be pointed to the Savior. See, God wants you to leverage what he's doing in you and what he has given you to help others. It's going to take time. It's going to take money. It's going to take energy. It's going to take you kind of getting into the mix of things you really don't want to get in the mix in. But let me tell you, it's worth it. Because love requires you to get involved. So I'm going to challenge you to do something for two weeks. Just two weeks. You can do, anyone can do this for two weeks. What I'm going to challenge you to do is that every day, just for, just for, for, for every day, whether you're going to work or going to school or what, whatever you're doing, just for two weeks, would you be willing to take this, take, take this truth to light, take this truth and say, I'm going to apply it to my lives, to ask how you can help. Would you for two weeks to ask the question, God, would you please open my eyes to those who are struggling and in need around me? You know, maybe you just need to ask someone some questions, but maybe if you don't have any answers there, would, just, would you be willing to go around you and say, God, what would you have me do? God, would you allow me to see the needs that are struggling with people all around me? And then when God reveals to you the truth, would you be willing to ask this next question? Is God, what do you want me to do to help I've seen the, um, and kind of heard a little bit of what we believe that you believe that God is going to be doing in this community to plant more churches, more sites. It's wonderful. But in order to do that, we're all going to have to step up. 
We're all going to have to step in. Because there's about 20,000 people in this area alone that need Jesus. And God wants to use you. We weren't called to the couch. We're called to be ambassadors. So, love you guys, um, and I'm praying for you. Let me do that right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us and this opportunity to be challenged again um, about what this church is already doing. They're already stepping out, and it's just really, really easy to say, hey, I've done my part. Now it's someone else's turn. But God, all throughout your scriptures, we're reminded that we don't get an opt out of this. So Father, I pray that you would just continue to bless this church and that you would shine your face upon it and be gracious to it. Continue to show them your favor and give them your peace as each and every one of this church family looks into their community and in the power of the Holy Spirit says, Lord, what would you have me do to help? And then as all of us together in your power step out in grace, the broken get fixed by you. So Father, lead and guide, we pray. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who makes all things possible and makes all things worthwhile. Amen.